0: In the US, it is well established, and same goes for parts of Europe. In the UK, since the GFC, it has been a major draw for capital. In Australia, though, things have moved a little slower. That is, until now. If you haven't guessed, though the title of this episode may have given it away, I'm talking about the built to rent residential sector. That's apartments built specifically for rental only, managed professionally, and promising to trump tenants' experience of renting in Australia, which, let's face it, can sometimes be pretty grim. Joining me on this podcast to tell us more are JL's Head of Residential Research, Lee Warner, and Fund Manager in Build to Rent at Investor, James Greener. I'm Rebecca Kent, and you're listening to JLL's Perspectives Podcast. Lee, give us a down low on Australia's residential market right now.
1: Well, thanks, Rebecca. It's really strange market at the moment because the general housing market is so strong, but the apartment market is a little bit disconnected. The bottom line is the apartment demand, particularly off-the-plan apartment demand, still relies quite heavily on Investor demand. So the stimulus measures that we've had in the market have really boosted owner-occupier demand. But at the moment, investor demand is starting to pick up, but it's still subdued. And overseas investors certainly um, are still not really back into the market. And they are also not likely to come back in force until after borders reopen. So it's a bit of a strange situation. So for to sell uh developers they still need pretty high levels of pre-commitment generally banks want to cover their whole debt position with pre-sales, so that's quite a large covenant that's particularly hard for large developments to reach those pre-sale hurdles and so it's still a tough environment to get a project going and few really are starting um, in melbourne and sydney in particular they're still bit of stock from the last cycle that still needs to be sold. So that's in competition with pre-sales as well. And um, it's a, it's still a very what, tough um, market to get a, a large high-density project in particular going. So developers are more focused on smaller boutiques, suburban developments that are more amenable to the owner-occupier.
0: Thanks, Lee. So what does all this mean for Build to Rent? I'll start
1: by talking about what we're talking about with built to rent. Really we're talking about institutional ownership of of residential for long-term rentals. And we're talking about a large scale of at least 100 apartments, that's a a sort of minimum, and we're talking about professionally managed stock, typically with on-site staff. This is a scale business um, built to rent, so we're not talking about smaller developments. the current situation, I think these market dynamics that I'm talking about is a real opportunity for uh, build to rent. There's less competition from those build to sell developers, particularly in that high rise market at the moment. We haven't seen the site values really correct in a, in a big way, but there's definitely less competition. And with commercial um, with commercial development also, stalling in in many sectors there's a lot less competition to acquire high density sites so this is a real opportunity for built rent operators Um, there's a couple in the market that that are looking actively for opportunities so um with a lot less competition but the other i guess important factor is medium term what we anticipate is that supply pipeline from the build to sell market to stay low over the next few years. And as the, as borders open up, demand will, will come back quite quickly and that will lead to a shortage of stock. It will take the build to sell market quite a long time to build up supply. So the real opportunity there, we think there'll be some real pressures. Most of the country is actually tight vacancy already except for Sydney and Melbourne, we've got around 1% or below vacancy across the country. Rents are starting to grow. Things will come back when borders reopen in, in Sydney and Melbourne quite quickly, and we'll see strong rental pressure. The opportunity for Built to Rent is really to get at the front of that queue for the next cycle and get into that market early, because you don't have that marketing period that the build to Sell um, developments will will have, so they'll be in the market earlier and be able to capitalise on that opportunity, I think.
0: James, I'll bring you in here. At Investor, you've just launched a new build-to-rent management platform in Australia called Indy. This has been in conjunction with the Canadian group Oxford Properties, which already has a significant build-to-rent portfolio in the US, and it's had a huge role in institutionalising the sector in the UK as well. What are international investors seeing in Australia?
2: Yeah, I mean, before COVID, um, Australia ranked as one of the most desirable real estate investment destinations, certainly in, in Asia-Pac, but also globally. Um, and even pre-COVID, it, it was seen as the most transparent market in the region. So in in a post-COVID world, I think Australia just looks more attractive again, as a real estate investment destination than it did before. Um, And that's largely due to how successfully it's managed the pandemic, both from a health and an economic perspective. So you've got investors that are comfortable uh, with Australia's real estate investment track record and history, it's screened well. So you've now got large global investors sitting back and assessing which sectors and what risk profile is the most appropriate for them in Australia. And it's in that analysis that, that we actually think built to rent in Australia looks very attractive. Um, and I think that's evidenced by the, the recent activity that's really stepped up again with, with groups like Oxford Properties really leading the charge. Um, and following on uh, a lot of what Lee said as well, I mean, I think broadly, there's four kind of key pillars, if you like, to what underpins the need for built to rent in in Australia. So the first that we touched on, and I agree with, is just the lack of purpose built uh, rental product, Um, and that is directly linked to the current poor rental experience that the growing number of Australian renters have with the mum and dad landlords. Uh, And I can talk to my own personal experience on that as well. Um, secondly, a significant purchase affordability constraint. So the house house price to income ratios uh, are amongst the highest in the world and house prices have just significantly outpaced uh, rental growth and, and obviously wage growth, which, uh, and that gap is only continuing to get bigger. Thirdly, uh, the changing social and demographic drivers. So there's over a third of Australians renting today, uh, and that number is growing. Um, and really importantly, and, and talks to our our strategy as well, and, and a key cohort that we are targeting, more than half of millennials are now choosing to rent. And again, that number is growing. And then fourth is Australia's population growth. Um, so forecast amongst the highest globally. So the net overseas like migration inflows uh, into the country expected to reach and even outperform pre-COVID levels once the international borders open up. Uh, And again, a a big driving factor of those numbers are the millennials. Uh, And we know from our international um, kind of experience and certainly what Oxford see is that the millennials are just a key, key, key target for this asset class. My
1: strong view is that investors do need more investment uh alternatives because the core sectors of office, industrial and retail just aren't going to offer enough opportunities for um for, for for investors to place the kind of money that they need to place long term. So you've got to go wider. And then when you look at that subset of where you can go wider and you look at all those alternatives, there's some good um potential business cases and demand cases. But none of them have the size and scale that built around have. I mean, if, if we have looked at this um, from the perspective of if we followed a, a similar growth path to the UK, if we followed that sort of growth path by the end of this decade, we would be somewhere between $74 and $84 billion of, of investment in this sector. And that's rapidly catching institutional investment in industrial, it's not far behind industrial. So that shows you the size and scale. There's some good other investment opportunities, but they can't rival those core sectors in, in size. They're, they're, some of them will stay niche.
2: I just wanna reiterate, I, I agree with what, what Lee said in terms of the scale of where this can go. Um, I mean, it's absolutely the core asset class in the US, it's 11.5% of all, all housing stock. So it's it's well and truly established, it's huge. Can we ever get there? We, we can absolutely dream. In terms of the UK, I think that's a much more relevant story. And I, I, I agree with what Lee said again. I mean, if built to rent stock in the UK right now is around 1.7% of all housing, and that's after call it a decade, I think conservatively, we could say that we'd achieve a modest 1% of housing stock by 2030, and until this point, that's a 74 billion dollar sector. Um, that's a pretty attractive story when you, you start kind of pitching that to, and again, it's no surprise groups like Oxford see that as attractive, and that is why they're they're monetizing the strategy.
0: James, Indy is targeting millennials. Why is it that they're more interested in renting than buying? Owning property has always been part of the great Australian dream.
2: What we see internationally and what we what we experience here from the millennial kind of consumer groups that we've spoken to, they're, they're the group that are more willing to travel. They're more willing to choose lifestyle over owning a property where they can afford to. Um, they're at the age where... They have the ability to make the most wage growth in their careers, and they are generally career hungry. Um, so, for all those reasons, what you see in in other kind of gateway cities like London, New York, Washington, um, and we're, we're certainly putting Sydney, Melbourne into that camp as well, is that when the borders do open back up, these are the people that have seen how well Australia has fared through the pandemic have seen the potential to further their career in Sydney and Melbourne, they will jump with both feet to get here. And if we can make that landing experience as seamless as possible and give them a a much better rental experience, certainly better than what I had when I landed here, um, I just think that is gonna resonate so strongly through that age group.
1: This can be a circular argument, because people will talk about changing attitudes and then they'll talk about um, affordability, but the two aren't independent. They're, there's a there's a strong relationship. You change your attitudes because of the circumstances in front of you. And I think that's, that's what we've seen. And this is not an Australian. This is not just an Australian trend. This is all around the world. Um, I think we've seen a, a generation that have said, look, I don't want to be do what my parents did and live modestly on the urban fringe and then build my way up. I want to do things differently, as James said. There's a desire to to travel, to 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 be career oriented. Well, it, and what's the sacrifice I have to make? Well, maybe I rent for longer. I'm I, I may not be giving up on the great Australian dream of owning a house at some stage, but I'm making a sacrifice. I I I want to rent for a longer period. So I want a good rental experience. I want to be in the area that I um want to live in where my that, that's cool that has the great cafes where my friends are. So I'm I rent for longer and I rent an apartment rather than being in a detached house. So there's a there's a real attitude um, change that we've seen in many other countries, not just Australia. But it's it's a response and it's a circular argument, as I said, so it's a response to the circumstances that they're facing. So I think it's very real. Um, there's a nice little uh, phrase of trading space for place. And I, I think that's a neat little um, thing. People do want to be in the location where they want to live. So.
0: James, your renting experience when you first moved to Australia is memorable for all the wrong reasons. Tell us about it and also about how living in a build-to-rent apartment would be different.
2: The the entire kind of process from identifying through to actually moving in is a pretty painful one. And and certainly that's, that's exacerbated by the fact that when I moved here, I was... I was along with many of the other Brits who'd heard of the Northern Beaches in Manly or I'd heard of Bondi. So really my my kind of target locations were pretty limited and pretty narrow. So I think firstly, things come on to real estate or domain, um, they're on there for all of two days before the, the agents are just inundated with offers over and above asking price. Um, you then have to go through the rigmarole of these 10 or 15 minute viewing windows on a, a Saturday morning or a Saturday afternoon. Um, so you've got a, a group of say 20, 30 people all looking for the exact same thing in the exact same price point. You might as well organize a mini bus to take you from one place to the other because you bump into each other at every single inspection. So it's a bit, it's demoralizing. Um, you're then putting your your best foot forward bidding over and above what is is advertised online to just get into what is effectively a, a blind kind of bidding war just to find out if you've got it or not. When you move in, um, it's there's no consistency. It's completely dependent on who owns that individual unit. Um, can you hang a picture? Chances are probably not. Is there something wrong with the asset, like the the property? Chances are probably yes. I mean, got some some stats that I think, um, I think JLL actually put a lot of these together, Um, but 51% of people who are renting uh, are living in a home that needs repairs. Um, Seven in 10 Australians who rent concerned that a request for those repairs to be fixed would mean that their rent immediately increases. Um, And one in 10 Australians who rent think that they will be forced to move in the next 12 months. So put really simply, it's a a model that gives all of the power and control to the landlord. Filter rent completely flips that. We're we're giving the control back to the customers, back to the tenants. If you want a long-term lease, have a long-term lease. You wanna personalize? Absolutely personalize. Gross rents, utilities included, that just makes things so much more convenient. Um, So I I personally had a long and frustrating renting experience in Australia. Uh, I think I moved five or six times in as many years, uh, which is extremely stressful and daunting in, in itself, especially when, I mean, we, we made the move to Australia to, to further our careers and really get stuck into the lifestyle of what Australia has to offer, not to just continually find where I can live and continually move. So it, it, it hits a very personal string for me as well. So I'm, I'm a true believer that this, this asset class is going to really resonate well.
0: And do you think that experience for renters may have improved since or even gotten worse, dare I say?
2: Um, I'm talking pre-COVID, uh, which is when my renting journey kind of stopped. I don't think it was improving. Um, I, I certainly think it was getting worse. There's just, there's nothing that, again, is looking to sway the balance of where the control sits between landlord or tenant. Um, the, the pendulum does not sit in the middle in Australia and it's, it's way too far in the landlord's favor.
1: Yeah, and vacancy outside Sydney and Melbourne is really tight. I'm I'm Brisbane-based. I'm currently going in the market because I'm doing a renovation um, and I've got to move out for six months. Try getting a six-month lease on a house with a dog. And that's another um, thing that James uh, didn't mention. People with pets get discriminated against. That doesn't happen in other countries. In other countries, pets are welcome in rentals. And this is... Build, build to rent, I think this is starting to change more generally, but I think um, build to rent can help accelerate that change as well, where there'll be no problem having a small dog or a cat in an apartment.
0: Well, pet lovers all around Australia will be celebrating at the very idea of it, no doubt. Good luck with your rental journey, Lee, and thank you both for sharing your knowledge. All the best, James, and investor with the rollout of Indy. I'm Rebecca Kent, host of JL's Perspectives podcast. You can check out more episodes and read more about our guests at jll.com.au forward slash perspectives dash podcast.